Welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. Last couple episodes, we have been talking about social justice... And we've also been, um, as a group, reading the book by Father Michael Schmidt called Made for Love. It's been kind of an interesting read, and we've been really enjoying it. And it's actually sparked a bunch of topics for us to discuss, which we'll be doing over the course of several episodes. Um, Today... We'd like to discuss a little bit about relativism and truth. Um, So one of the first things we really need to do when we're um, talking about truth is, you know, what is truth? I've got a great quote here from Father Mike's book that says, What is truth? Truth can be defined pretty simply. It is the expression of what is. Therefore, the validity of a statement depends upon its conformity to what is. For example, if I were to say, there is a computer on my desk, that statement would be true because it conforms to what is. There is a computer on my desk. Also, if I were to say that a computer, a scanner, and a fan are on my desk, they are, that statement would reflect reality even in more detail. So let's take the next step. There are also two kinds of truth, subjective truth and objective truth. Subjective truth is easily seen in the following sentences. I like summertime. I like driving a bit over the speed limit. I like caribou coffee. I get sleepy after two glasses of wine. But objective truth exists outside of me. A thing can be true or false regardless of whether I know it, like it, or believe it. And I think this is where we fall in line as Catholics. Our definition of truth is how it conforms to God and to what is in relationship to how God has ordered the universe and set things into motion and and ordered nature as evidenced by the world around us and science and by what we can see and what we know um, through the eyes of our faith and through the eyes of tradition and history. And so when we're talking about truth, we're talking about... Well, when we're talking about relativism, we're talking about the idea that there is an objective truth versus a subjective truth where everything is relative and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and they're both true and we can agree to disagree. And discussing how that type of ideology has created so many problems in our society. Well, I'm glad that you said you talked about, you know, the way that God ordered nature to be because there are a lot of people who are not religious and they reject the idea that there is this objective truth that a higher being has ordered. But then you can also look at the, the way that God did order the world. There are these natural truths that exist and you can see them objectively separate yes. from a belief in God just because that is the way that nature is, that the, the, the world and human beings and everything else have been ordered. Um, I was going to say. Well, when you talk about this, I think a lot about science 
And a lot of people, I mean, we hear this all the time, look at the science. And we know that science does change because we make new discoveries. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that the patterns have changed. It's that we've just discovered them. So the truth didn't necessarily change. We've just have gone further into it, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. A lot of the arguments that tend to come up are... We don't need to follow religious truth when there's scientific truth. The fact is, is the two actually always go hand in hand. Right, that gives us, um, you know, the book of, you know, the Bible of divine revelation, but he also gives us the book of nature. Yes. Um, and that he, his, you know, revelation, the divine, divine revelation, um, has come through to us in, many, in, in those ways not just through scripture but also we find that in nature and they're always going to complement each other um, something else that um, Father Mike talks about um, like Lauren said it's this um, the kind of those differences between subjective and objective truth and how with relativism these days like with uh, that there's this disconnect of what is considered objective or subjective, and particularly the statement of God exists. Um, and he kind of dives into, um, is that statement subjective or objective? And there's, uh, he gives an example of a professor who was trying to help his students identify objective and subjective statements and when it got to the statement of God exists um, it says there was a near universal breakdown quote the class seized giving the same answer in unison instead there were two answers being shouted some students recognized right away that the statement was objective but the majority of them thought the statement was subjective remember that the professor wasn't claiming the statement was objectively true he was merely claiming that it was an objective statement uh, so one reason many students gave for saying the statement was subjective is they had been raised in a culture where statements like God doesn't exist and God exists are regarded as simple, simply matters of opinion. And I think that's what we find so much in our culture today and what this, is that um, what we believe, you know, what we as Catholics take is this objective truth, regardless of what I see it as, this is truth, is being um, portrayed as subjective. Well, and that really brings into focus then the idea, the, the ideology that's really being mainstreamed right now, that everything is my truth, mm -hmm. that I can subvert objective reality with my own quote-unquote reality um, simply because I feel that way, because I want it to be that way. Mm -hmm. And because when, when people are talking about my truth, I think what they're really what they're really objectively saying is that I have my own feelings, my own desires, my own thoughts and beliefs and experiences. And that is true that we all, we all have those own, our own experiences in those ways, those internal ways. But then when, when using the phrase, my truth, it's extended out of oneself instead of interiorly, exteriorly to say that, you know, this is the way that it is. Um, and then also going a step further than that and saying, if you don't agree with me or if you, you know, say anything in objection to this, then you're attacking me or whatever, because it's become such a stronghold for a lot of people that um, 
that if you if you disagree with somebody's quote unquote truth, then you're attacking them personally as a human being. Um, and I think the thing that this is something that I've noticed happening in our society more and more, more and more people who I never really thought would use the term my truth are using it more and more often. But this is a really, I think it's a really a breakdown in maturity level that we're seeing in our society with regard to this when we're looking at this, this way of using relativism because it's looking all about me. Like, that the world should exist based upon how I perceive it to be, not based upon the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And it's really a childish notion because children see the world through their own lens. Like everything revolves around them until they grow up and they start learning learning through experience that I don't always get the what I want when I want it just because I want it. That other things exterior of me, like they, they have some say-so, right? But what adults are trying to do right now, I think, is really take us back a bit and say no actually like I don't want to mature I don't want to see the world the way that it is I want to only see the world the way that I view it and I want everybody else even if you don't agree with me you at least have to say that I am right for me you know is that, is that does that make sense well and I think some of that comes from what we've learned in the past decade 15 years about perception I mean, look at the, the what the gold or blue dress. I mean, <laughs> we all see the same picture, but the same picture is there, but we all perceive it differently. And so there is, I think, this discovery that we can all see the same thing, but not see it in the same way is something that has kind of also fed this idea of the way I perceive things are as my truth, if that makes any sense. It doesn't change the fact that even if you see the dress a different color, it doesn't change that the dress is a dress. So the, the, the truth is, is that the dress is there. Now colors have to do with all sorts of things that going on optically with your eyes and the light that you're seeing and even the computer screen you're looking through it through. So I also, you know, it's kind of interesting because like if we all saw the same dress in person, would we all see it a different color or is it because we're looking at it through this picture? Does that make, if that makes any sense? So the truth is, is the dress is still a dress. Just because we're all perceiving the colors differently doesn't change what it is. And so, yes, we all have different experiences. We all have different life journeys. We all have different things that happen to us. But that doesn't change the fundamental truths in nature and in God. And not only that it's a dress, but that it does have a specific color. Mm-hmm. That is it a dress with a specific color. Yeah, we see it we see it differently. Like if somebody might be colorblind or, you know, I've even been in person with somebody and they're like, yeah, that's purple. And I'm like, no, that's pink. But in reality, it has one set color. It's not the color is not pink because I say it's pink and it's purple for them because it's they say that it's purple yeah. there is an objective reality that there is one color there we just might see it differently well and I think it has to do with distance um, we could even use this as a sort of metaphor you know what lens are you viewing the dress through are you viewing it through the lens of your personal experience the lens of your color blindness perhaps your neurodiversity even um, the, if we if we spread it out you know 
if you're viewing the truth through the lenses of the different experiences and different ways that the brain works, you may come up with some variances in shape. But the fact remains that it is a dress and it is somewhere in person a color. <laughs> and that is what it is. And that is the objective truth. And just because I see it as a purple dress does not mean that it actually is a pink dress sitting there in that room. So your distinction there is important, Alicia, that you made. But also, your distinction is really fascinating too because this is the issue here, I think. We're all seeing truth through these different lenses. And even those of us who agree on the objective truth there are variances in the shade based on our experience, based on our interpretations. Where I think the breakdown happens, I love something that you said, Alicia, you said adults, there seems to be this trend in the last year, particularly with the dawn, the rise of social media, where everyone has an opinion. And Father Mike talks about this in his book, and everyone has now this incredible platform with which to express that opinion to anyone who happens to be watching them from all over the world. And it's a perplexing and fascinating and dangerous and powerful and unique situation that we're in. Because all of a sudden, every single thing that we think or say or believe has the potential to be validated by someone else, whether it's good, true, beautiful, right, based on truth, based on unreality, if I can get 600 people who agree with my statement about how I see the world, somehow my opinion goes from being just an opinion to being, in a, to being a legitimate truth. And this is where the breakdown is. And this is why the, the, this computer age presents such a challenge for us, particularly raising our children, those of us that are raising children or grandchildren um, or nieces and nephews, is how do we teach our children to recognize that behind the door of that door somewhere there is a dress and it is the same color that it is. It is its what isness, it is its fabric, it is its nature, and that is what is the truth versus what we experience on our daily life with our different individualized lives and paths. And how do we teach our children that? How do we keep that breakdown from happening in our brains so that our children don't just simply believe or just anyone simply believes that truth is truth is your truth is my truth and if you if you're attacking you're attacking my truth you're attacking me like you said um and he goes into that in detail which i think was just really fascinating and i love what you said and this is just you didn't you stopped just short of saying this but i, I heard it come out of what you were saying see the world as I see it. You must see the world as I see it. But what's really being said there, I think, is see me. And I think what's happened here is this incredible opportunity where, even though this is so frustrating to see this happening, particularly in social media and just across all these blog sites, what people are really doing is they're showing us what they need. They're showing us how to accompany them. They're saying, this is how, see me, see my experience, see who I am, see what my pain, see my, the way my brain works, see me. And it makes me wonder if the way we approach this relativism isn't to be hammering down on our truth, but to actually just walk with people and see them 
and show them objective truth. Well, and this is this is going based on what you said, but kind of going off in a little bit of a different area just shortly. I think that what you said about the social media and wanting to be seen, it's a circular kind of thing because what really I think needs to happen is that we need to get off of social media. Absolutely. We need to contact yeah. one another in person yes. so that we can actually be seen by other people. And so that we can people. see the dress. And yeah. so, <laughs> so it's interesting about what both you and Alicia and Lauren are saying is so I have an educational background, and so when you think about children in their egocentric stage, and that's the me stage where it's all about me, everything is about them. They're, you know, these are our toddlers and our um, preschoolers and our kindergartners are in this egocentric stage. It's in about first grade that they start kind of seeing that they're not the only person in the world. I mean, they know that other people exist, <laughs> but the world doesn't revolve around them. They're not the sun, you know? So it's interesting though, too, that during that time period where they're going through these different developmental stages, like take their artwork, for example, somebody who was criticized as a child for their artwork it's very interesting to see how their artwork never really developed past that mm. stage. So, if we are, I mean, some people, you know, some people can rise above criticism and things like that, but it's interesting to see how when your brain gets rewired a certain way by experience, by something that somebody says, by social media, screen time, things like that, how our growth can be stunted in certain aspects of our life. So it's interesting that you say that it seems like we're stuck in this egocentric stage because if you also put in how much media is out, has come out in the last year about perception and individual truth and what is truth and my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and it's very interesting to see how like you were mentioning there's this me 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 type of thing but i also love what you said lauren about how the me 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 we can move past that into saying okay you need somebody to hear you mm -hmm. you need somebody to hear what is going on in your life and you need somebody to walk with you because once like again a child who may have been criticized in their their art development stunted like they're still stuck in scribbles or they're still stuck with the head with the legs coming from the head and things like that their brain can still reroute itself and grow when they are encouraged and nourished mm -hmm. and i think as a society there's hope because as long as we are being nourishing to each other and walking with each other instead of saying i agree with everything you say that's not helping somebody you can still love and walk with somebody without agreeing with them. And, but having conversation where they think about what, they, what they're saying, think about what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure that I'm wrong about lots of things. But when I end up talking with friends like we do here on this podcast, it helps me think more about that topic and grow to a better understanding of what the truth is. One of the things I talk to my teenage girls and I mentor about, sometimes I call them out on some things. 
And it's very interesting how offended. I get offended when I get called out. I'm not saying don't be offended when you get called out. But the very thought of being contradicted is they're, they're taken aback by that. Like, you should just accept what I just said. It should just be okay. No. <laughs> what you just said doesn't conform to the truth of objective reality. What you just said conforms to your experience and your feelings. And that, do that doesn't mean that it's not true. Again, subjective truth doesn't mean it's not true. Someone's subjective truth is indeed their subjective experience. But it doesn't trump the objective reality. And when you call, it's, it's like you were saying, it's almost like to, to ask someone to look at something differently and grow is now a wound. It's a sword. It's a weapon. How do we overcome discussions like this, particularly about the nature of the body and how we use our bodies when we don't even really have a language that doesn't create wounds by just speaking it. That language, like you said, is nourishment and love. It's listening and asking questions the way Jesus did. That is the only language where we can overcome that, those barriers and try to move past into an actually productive, rewiring conversation if need be and you know if that's what's needed well I, I, it's funny about when you said like jesus says i automatically went to the woman in the well yeah where he is like so where's your husband she's like well i don't really have a husband and like well you're right to say you don't because the guy <laughs> you live with isn't your husband and the other guys you know yeah so uh, it's just but like just the asking and she's like oh how'd you know that but I just, I just automatically went there. And there was healing there. Mm -hmm. And she was excited. And he told her to go, you know, not sin anymore. And it was beautiful. And there was growth and healing. Father Mike talks a bit about, like, this, what you were talking about, Stacy, with the, um, uh, how, like, you were saying, like, when children, like, they, you know, they're told that they're not, you know, good at art. It doesn't really develop. But um, in that section, in his... In the, in the book Made for Love, he's talking about um, interpretation and how um, often why so many of, like, when he touches on sensitive topics, like his sermons on sensitive topics, are um, often misunderstood. It's because it's due to our, you know, our interpretations. And he gives the example of um, how when he was a kid, he had a, uh, he, he called it, he said what he would kindly be called a big gap toothed grin. Um, but he said that he never really had any hangups on that because uh, he believes it's because he was regularly affirmed in that exact area. Whereas there are other parts of himself that he has, um, he's really self-conscious about because of maybe one person said something one time. And I felt that like that is so, um, you know, I, 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 have experienced, I know we've all kind of experienced that in our lives. Um, but you, you know, for one reason or another, we allow these little things to kind of color our um, perceptions and, um, and how in relationships we have to be very delicate about how, um, how we approach it, like how we, how we walk with um, people through their journeys so that our, we are conscious of how we may be interpreted. Um, like we want to speak truth, 
but we want to do it in a way that's not going to be, uh, that's not going to make it seem like rejection. I have two stories, and they both involve my mother's, my stepmother and my mother. And they're both remarkably different. I'm not going to tell you names or anything like that, but I remember when I was in fourth grade, and my mother always affirmed us in any of our dreams, anything we were interested in, anything that we were excited about. She would always support that. And she would never, she told us, you can do it whatever you want, whatever you want. There's nothing, there's no limits for you. And you're special and you're unique and you're powerful. She would tell us those things. And we believed her. And we just, we took that for granted, that that was a reality because she was our mother, you know? And she told me, uh, one day I t- I, a teacher asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was in third or fourth grade. And I said, well, I want to be an astronaut. She said, oh, honey, your math skills, you'll never make it to that. Well, that's so sad. I never, I never got excited about math or science again after that until I was an adult. Even though, now this is where it gets interesting, my mother went to the school and chewed her out. <laughs> Told her that that was wrong. She should never say that to a child. But even though she did that for me, and I knew that, and it made me feel so affirmed, I still lost my impetus for all of that because I thought I just wasn't good enough. And it, and it was true. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. <laughs> Math has never been my strong suit. As an adult, I can look at that objectively. You know, I tell my son, Einstein felt math. Yeah. Look at him. But I got <laughs> but, like, but it's so, but this is what I mean. This is, I'm, I'm agreeing with what Annie said here and what Father Mike said that it is so important, especially when we are discussing people's bodies or the way they carry themselves or their interests as a child. It is so important that we, that we really say nothing, nothing, nothing negative unless it's absolutely necessary about that person uh, of who they are as a person. I don't mean never say a negative word to your child because you never lived in my house. (laughs) But I mean when it comes to their identity, to their their physical appearance Mm -hmm. like Mike was saying because another thing I had happen to me was when I was a teenager and I was 13 and um, someone told me that I was thick in the middle and I was not at 13 thick in the middle. And that has stuck with me for my entire life. And I have been self-conscious about my middle my entire life since that day. And it's so weird. And it's just not a person that had a right to speak into my life in any way. She shouldn't have had any ground in my heart. But she did. And it just makes me so, you know, to be so cautious about the things that can, like Stacey was talking about, that can just stick in people's minds and twist that neurodevelopment it's kind of scary yeah oh yeah like I had I remember in the same note I when I was in about fifth or sixth grade um I had some friends told me that um just that we were trying they were we were going to try out for something for the talent show and they told me that um I shouldn't do any of the singing with them because I have a very good voice and I mean I I don't have I, I I know I'm not like you know pop star you know like anything but I, I can carry a tune a little bit um, and I but it's it stuck with me from like obviously so I mean you know, for many many years and 
it just kind of like I never wanted to try and develop anything whereas my my two sisters have like amazing voices and like would sing like a stuff so if I had you know done anything or like wanted to that more then it could have maybe developed that but, but because of that hang up um that percep that change in perception um you know I, I know we all have everybody has a story like that yeah whether it is about um you know just you know something about ourselves where somebody unintentional well or intentionally because you know middle school and kids are mean um <laughs> said something that change our perception what well, colors the way you see it, the world and the yes. way you see yourself the way you i you know and yeah. so i'm listening to both of your stories and also think because as a you know mother and then a teacher correcting somebody and being negative are not necessarily the same thing right. and i think that's the other th- issue that we are starting to have as a society is when somebody corrects somebody right that's automatically taking taken negatively so you know those are negative things said but like as a music teacher i can't continue to let a kid play a B when it's supposed to be a B flat. Right. right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that changes the music like yes. significantly. I have to correct and teach those children how to get to the B flat exactly. so that we are in unison with each other or we're in harmony with each other. Mm-hmm. And so correcting isn't a bad thing, but we have to good. do it in a nurturing way, mm-hmm. not a scolding our negative way and we're not perfect i mean uh, yeah if you've been in my house i'm not the perfect mother uh, by any means and you know correcting cannot be taken as a negative thing all the time criticism constructive criticism cannot this thing that we're always taking offense to well see and i think that's right there it's like there's a difference between criticism just for criticism's sake and then constructive criticism but really i think that i heard somebody say this one time and I think it's so important for us as adults and then children as they grow up that we as Christians are called to be unoffendable yeah because when you are offended you're harboring resentment towards somebody else right and I think within that we have to say like with regard to relativism like what is judgment because I think our society has gotten what being judgmental is completely wrong where we've gone with relativism is that if you tell me that what I'm doing is wrong, you're judging me. You're attacking me. You're judging me. You can't do that. And especially if, you know, you're a Christian and you go up to somebody and say, hey, what you're doing isn't okay. They say, well, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge. Yeah. But what is judgment? It's not. We as Christians are called to say, hey, this is a sin. Mm -hmm. It ought to be. Mm-hmm. Ought not be done, right? And there's there are ways to do that. It's not just to go out and yell at people or whatever. But you know, it depends on your relationship well, you with the person and the situation. <laughs> you could. <laughs> I, in my in my personal experience, it hasn't been great. But um, I was going through a park one day, and I was in my gothic gear, as I just went through. Like, well, mm. I always wanted to be goth. I wore a lot of black, and I thought that's what goth was. And <laughs> but and I was walking through the park with my family, and these people were out evangelizing and they had the sign and this guy looked at me and he goes hey are you saved and I didn't know what that meant I had no idea I had no context for that and I said no and he goes you're gonna go to hell mm-hmm. and I 
was like, okay. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it sucks, but all right. <laughs> but <laughs> thanks. You didn't get me the jail. Yeah, you didn't get me. So I think there's definitely like ways to go about it that are appropriate. But we, as in terms of judgment, when Christ told us not to be judgmental, it's I think a lot of mostly interior. Are we coming at this from a place of hatred of superiority? Are we coming at this from, you know, I am better than you because you're doing this thing and I haven't done it, or I've overcome this thing that you are still doing? That's what I think judgment is. And we absolutely can and must make judgments about behavior. We have to, we have exactly. To do that as and we have to accept it as well. Yes. Because even, because if somebody's giving us constructive criticism, we have to be willing to be mature enough, to grow in maturity enough to say, reflect on that and say you know like that stings a bit but is it right i remember a cousin of mine um it was shortly after i converted and we were talking about drinking alcohol and um but i can't remember exactly how the conversation went but she was basically saying pointed out the hypocrisy of people of christians who say that it's wrong to drink but they they'll, they'll abstain on sundays but then the rest of the week they you know have parties and they drink it up and I, I can't remember exactly, again, that the context of the conversation, but she said it in a very judgmental way and a very hating, like, hateful way. And I could have taken serious offense to that, but I think this was a Holy Spirit thing because I, oh, I was easily offended, offended all the time. But like, I didn't get offended by it. And I was like, huh, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't be the kind of person that just says, all right, on Sundays, I'm going to be try to be holy and the rest of the week, it doesn't matter anymore. And it really had an effect on me. You know, I think we, we need to take those opportunities. And even when somebody says something horribly critical of us that has no basis, that is just being nasty. And obviously for children, this is much harder. And so I think we as adults need to teach our children this. Mm-hmm. We have to learn it ourselves. And this is a hard, long, hard road. So I'm not downplaying it at all. But being holy and offendable, like if somebody tells us, hey, you know, I used to, <laughs> another story, when I worked as a waitress, I had one particular option, it was two ladies who every single day that I worked there for the last, well, almost every single day that I worked there for about a year, told me I was fat and that I was gaining weight. And then when I came back after I quit, came back to have lunch with my family, <laughs> the first thing that one of the ladies told me, she goes, oh, hi, Alicia, you're looking pretty fat today. <laughs> I just looked at her and I was like, okay, but you don't want to walk my way away. But even then, it's a call to grow. It is a call for us. We can take those opportunities when people are being nasty and judgmental and mean, and we can turn them into an opportunity. And God does this all the time. I think this is what is growing in holiness is taking those and saying, you know, yeah, it was hurtful. It was mean. I am hurt and that's okay. But how can I forgive this person today? How can I love this person? How can I reject that lie in the name of Jesus Christ? How can I call down his name? And so I think, yeah, I think that we have to be not necessarily okay with, but we have to accept the fact that we are going to be criticized and we are going to be constructively criticized and we can use those as opportunities. Yeah, and I think it ties back to objective truth too, though, because... You know, most people will stop. What's happening in our society is what you said. Yeah, that seems a little bit, but is it right? I think that's where it stops. We stop after, yeah, that seems a little bit, because you've offended my 
my reality. I don't see myself that way. You're saying that the way I'm seeing myself is incorrect. That stinks. But no one is asking, but but is it true? And if it is true, then I must conform my life to that objective truth. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're at right now, where the the idea, we can fight and argue about our subjective truths all day long, but the idea that at some point we're going to have to close our open minds on something objective, on something substantive, as C.S. Lewis said, the entire point of having an open mind is to close it upon something true mm-hmm. yeah um, that's where we have to have a language where we've got to be able to talk to each other about what is truth and the nature of truth and and then the, the, we have to have long conversations about that with ourselves and with our family members and with each other because I think it, it, it's it may be the most important conversation to have right now in our society that is so full of everyone who has an opinion peddling it as truth. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I call myself out with that too, because I'm fully aware of the deceitfulness of my own heart. And what I believe is true, I absolutely know that a bunch of that's hogwash, particularly <laughs> in my relationships. Because if I were to sit down for five minutes and really go through it, I would find all the ways that I was being hypocritical and deceitful about my view of things or my view in that relationship. So this is a personal thing here. We have to deal with the subjective truth in our own hearts, the things that don't measure up to truth first before we try to tackle this at large as a society, or not even maybe not before, but during, during this process. Well, and I hear you guys talk about judgment and what judge what judging is and or admonishing or you know correcting, and I think about the term relativism because we talked about that. And it's changed because relativism, when originally it came about, was talking about other cultures and where they were in a different place mm-hmm. than you and not being judging and judgmental. Um, not. <laughs> so I think it's important for us to say that that's not the type of relativism we're talking about. We're not talking about cultural re- relativism where a culture has developed over thousands of years and that we should look at what their culture is doing. We're talking about this new kind of new modern relativism that has been coming, has been developing where it's my perception is truth. And so where we need to be walking with people because they do perceive the world differently. We we all perceive the world differently, but that, like we said, like the dress is Mm -hmm. still a dress and it's still silk or cotton or whatever it is. Yeah, and we're moving from, and it's been going on for a long time, this modernist, I hate it to even use that word because it's a buzzword now, but this mm-hmm. modern idea of um, you can't disagree with my truth, that's been going on since maybe the 70s. But there's this new kind of postmodernism where um, not only must you not tell me that my truth isn't right, you must agree with my truth mm-hmm. or you are an oppressor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, this is brand new. This has been on the scene 10, 15 years, maybe 20. And it's it's divergent from every other approach to cultural problems, relations, relationships, culture in general, than in any other time in history. Um, and the Pope calls it, um, he, I love what he says, he calls it a sort of 
ideological colonization where we sweep into a society and disregard everything that that society has believed until right now, what we believe is right and good. And if you follow modern media developments and social media, you'll know that the idea of colonists or colonial approach is being mentioned a lot in discussion to several issues within our society today and the dangers of a colonist or a colonial or colonization mindset. So it's interesting that he brings up the idea of an ideological colonization in terms of subjective truth. Well, I think it's because, and also, if you look at the course of human history, I think the majority of it was ruled by feelings. That it was a feelings-based society in which we don't, we're not, we're not going to use reason. Reason is separated. If it feels right, it is right. Okay, so I think what this boiled down, really kind of boils down to is that, like, when you're talking about relativism, it, it is very much a feelings-based thing that people think that now that if I feel a certain way, it is a certain way. The subjective reality is my subjective reality. But I think feelings say much more about us interiorly and the state and the place that we're in than it does about our exterior realities around us. But I think that people are crossing the two and they're trying to make them make them match. And so if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I have this quote by St. Maximilian Colby. And he said, no one in the world can change truth. What we can do and should do is to seek truth and serve it when we have found it. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you. of you in the Oklahoma City area, the Central Region Council of Catholic Women will be hosting an event on October 16th from 10 a.m. to noon at the Gospel of Life Disciples. There's no cost to attend. Registration starts at 9.30. They simply ask that you RSVP by October 13th to Jody Ford at 405-831-8340. Again, that's 405-831-8340.